to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. This week's guest is Courtney Brame, who uses he-they pronouns. Courtney is the founder and executive director of Something Positive for Positive People. Something Positive for Positive People was born as a suicide prevention resource for those struggling with the stigma of their sexually transmitted infections, or STI, diagnoses. Challenging the status quo of the media, medical field, and internal belief systems about the identities of those living with an STI, SPFPP is bringing awareness to the interconnectedness of mental health and sexual health. Courtney's goal through this organization is to provide access to mental health resources and integrate them into STD prevention efforts. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you. You read that so well. I feel like I should hire you to read my bios and intros from now on. (laughs) Happy to. Sure. Let me know. We'll I'll have my people talk to your people. (laughs) I love it. Okay, I am like so, you know those like Instagram or whatever TikTok games where you have to like guess the word by like sounding it out? Yeah. That's what I was doing forever with your Instagram name. It is H on my chest having to do with herpes like the scarlet letter, but when I first was reading it for I think for like a year honestly I was like on my chest. Like You'd be surprised <laughs> how many people do that though. It's, it's often people are like, "Yeah, Han." And they'll like shorten it and in cool. And I'm like, hey, John. I'm like, oh, they think it's on me chest or homie chest. Yeah. Messaging me, that's what they'll say. So it, it's it's fun. It's fun. okay. So I'm not the only one. Uh, well, tell me just a little bit about the uh, the inspiration for that title, the H on my chest. Ah, uh, so it was actually my first recording of audio before I even knew this was going to be a podcast. So in the beginning, uh, what I would do was just. If I heard from someone who was suicidal and they didn't look like me or share like an age range or anything, what I did was reach into different support groups that I was in and see if anyone would be open with sharing their experience living with herpes. And uh, I have herpes too. I don't know that I mentioned that in the bio, but uh, I had my first recording with someone who shared their experience with their diagnosis. And it was in that conversation that it was like, you know, I am willing to put the H on my chest to be out there for people to see. And it was kind of like this Mm -hmm. connection between superheroes and their secret identities, because I wasn't open about my herpes status when I began doing this. So it was like, Superman has an S. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just put this H on here and people will see it as like a symbol calling forth people who might be struggling with herpes stigma. Mm, and then I also think of it as, like I said, like the scarlet letter, right? Because I mean, we're going to talk about this today, but shame and stigma associated with that to sort of proudly claim this and have the H on, on your chest, H on your chest, <laughs> that, you know, that really, uh, yeah, a lot of people think certain things about you if they think that that is a part of your life. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've played with what the H stands for. And a lot of the things that I do are like I hype people up. If someone DMs me and they're at a low point, like I try and just get people to a new baseline of how they feel about themselves. Um, another thing is hope, giving people hope if they're in the space of despair through the shared experiences of our community members who mm-hmm. volunteer their time to share their stories. And then another one just being like healing because this is a space that has been created on the Instagram platform, H on my chest, as well as the organization, something positive for positive people and the podcast. These are spaces where healing can take place just through having that safer space where you can consume the information and kind of like be a part of a conversation of someone sharing their lived experiences, primarily with herpes. So I say we interview people with SCIs, but I would argue that 95% of the interviews are about herpes. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the the kind of purpose of the something positive for positive people, have you seen a lot of folks contemplating taking their own life after receiving an STI diagnosis? Like what are the stats on this? Yeah. So I, in 2019, was uh, I got to present an abstract at the National Coalition of STD Directors Annual Sexual Health Conference, STD Engage. So I put together a survey and it stopped at 110 people because the survey was a free survey. And what was reported was that uh, 98% of the people who took the survey had reported experiencing depression because of their herpes diagnosis. 48 point something percent of people had suicide ideation. 25% of people had uh, engaged in self-harming activities. And it was 6% of people who said that they wanted to or they attempted suicide. And wow. looking at that, it it I don't know that um, it reflects the experiences of everyone living with herpes simply because you have to take into consideration that majority of people who have herpes either don't know they have it or they're at a place where they're okay with it. So I'm not hearing from these people who are in their marriages or relationships who have no reason to seek any support resources. So of the people who have herpes who are most struggling with stigma, that's who I'm hearing from. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure to make that disclaimer that this isn't reflective of everyone living with herpes. It's everyone who's most struggling to the point of looking for resources to have found something positive for positive people. Uh, that's who has shared the information. But it was in my personal experience where I'd had herpes for four years before I found any support resources. And even when I found them, they were very challenging to get into. But once you got in and connected to someone who was connected, it was just like a whole new world had opened up. And especially for me, given that in dating, it felt like herpes was the one obstacle that I had that would keep me from Mm. even initiating or engaging in conversation that would lead to potential intimacy. Once that barrier was removed, I mean, to be completely honest, I was killing it. And so to be in those spaces and see that there were people who wanted to take their lives, who were talking about it, it was like, hey, it's not that bad. But Again, like I'm speaking from at that point in time, I was a 27, 28 year old black man. And a lot of what I was hearing 
these uh, suicide ideation expressions, they came from younger white women or white men. Uh, and I didn't have the experience to mirror back to them to support them through what they needed at the time in order to heal. So it was through the reaching out to other people who were willing to share their stories that I was able to um, share something with them that was more useful than what I had to offer in my experience. And in your experience, what have you seen then as the intersection of race and STIs? I would say a big piece of it is when I go online, if I'm on Instagram, for instance, or any social media platform, and I type in hashtag herpes, you'll see primarily cisgendered white women who are open about it. And I think that there's a great sense of allyship there. If uh, I see a lot of white people open up about having their having a herpes status and putting a story up and posting and they get support from their people. Whereas, and actually this morning is an example, uh, Cardi B had an allegation uh, out against her for uh, having herpes. And she spoke on an interview with The Breakfast Club about having been suicidal from the allegation because she posted a picture of her kissing her daughter. And the community one the black community like went nuts in her comments about ew you kissing your baby and you have herpes so there's sort of this line between representation and mm -hmm. education and allyship like i see that there are there's a higher um likelihood of allyship from white people than there is black people given the absence of representation like as far as yeah. i know i'm the only black dude i know that's open about my herpes herpes status and then um as far as black women go there's three to five women that i know who have at one point been like hey i have herpes here it is but that allyship does not show up in the comments of when you look at like a black celebrity um mm -hmm. we're not seeing that same well, I have herpes and that's not how this works. Or here's yeah. been my experience. Like it's safer for white people to open up. To do to do anything in the world. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you said it. So, I, mean. <laughs> I mean, I think just as you were speaking, I felt like we could fill in the blanks with any other health concern uh, plus systemic racism, right? The representation, the lack of talking about it, maybe the lack of education, and then the additional, uh, I think, stigma and yeah systemic racial stuff happening um that seems to be true for like most health things that i can think about what, what do you think yeah um it's interesting because in starting this out i wanted to think that this didn't have anything to do with race and that it was a herpes issue but the reality mm -hmm. is like a lot of any issue that we face is going to at some point if not even at the core you'll hit a layer of it that does revolve around race yeah and I mean, now that most STIs are, are treatable or manageable, um, why do you think people are still so scared? And I have to admit, even myself, like I'm in this field, I study this, like I preach sex positivity and sharing your STI status. I myself have um, oral herpes, herpes type one. Um, and even still, I still find myself having stigma if a new partner shares something. There's that instant response of like, oh, do I want that? kind of thing. And so like, why, why are we still so fucking scared? I have so many answers to that question, but the one that 
like calls to me right now is the inconsistency of information that's out there, the inconsistency of people's experiences as well. Uh, one doctor may say, oh, just don't have sex during outbreaks. Another doctor may say, just wear condoms. Another doctor may say, well, as long as you're asymptomatic, like you don't have to tell partners. So there's all of these different conversations and sharing of information. And that's just in the medical community. When we look at the media or when we look at what shows up in search results, or when we look at trans- then it's all, it's all bad. It's all, yeah. And, and it's not just that it's all bad, but it's like all inconsistent. Like it's to the point now where I don't even look at statistics anymore. I tell a partner if I'm going to be intimate with them, hey, you might get herpes from me. You might not get herpes from me. Here's my history in dating partners who don't have herpes or to their knowledge didn't have herpes. I have not passed it on to anyone as far as I'm aware. And I feel like given what I do, we're at a place where they would tell me. I had a partner tell me that they later had sex with uh, someone them and uh, their partner. And how to, I don't know how to, how to word this, but they had a threesome. So her and her mm-hmm. partner had a threesome with someone. And that person shortly after their uh, encounter, after they presented symptoms, they were like, hey, do you have herpes? And they were like, oh, yeah, um, I just didn't tell you. And it's like mm-hmm. they got herpes from someone who didn't tell them rather than someone who was upfront about it and like, hey, you might get it from me, you might not. You know, and you know, who's to say that maybe it wasn't me? Uh, well, I have like the reason behind that. I have type two, and when they tested positive, it was for type one. So, <laughs> uh, right now, undefeated on the internet of uh, not having passed it on to anyone. But part of it is that communication, that ongoing dialogue, that um, awareness of my body, and when I should probably avoid sexual contact in my genital region and being confident enough to communicate that. So after having had herpes at this point, I'm on my ninth year. I don't know the exact date, but I have this awareness of when an outbreak is coming, if one is coming, or when I'm more susceptible to experiencing the symptoms of an outbreak. And I'm able to communicate with my partners what that means for us. Have you seen like a hierarchy within people that reach out to you about the types and location of the herpes? Because I know for myself, I got diagnosed when I was 15. I got it from kissing a partner. Um, And I, I had a similar response to what you were saying at the beginning, like, I don't know if I would say I was suicidal, but like so depressed, thinking I'm unlovable. This isn't like I'm never going to meet somebody. I was angry. I was rageful. Like all the fucking feelings of, I think, grief. Um, And I think a lot of people I know who have that will say, oh, it's just oral. Like it's just cold sores, right? There's sort of this ability to create this hierarchy. So have you seen that in people who talk to you that, that there is a hierarchy of like where you have herpes and which type you have? The people I hear from typically don't have oral herpes. I hear from people who have a diagnosis of genital herpes Mm -hmm. or they are newly diagnosed and don't know the location. So it's just a scary experience to have overall. So to run in for a blood test and come back positive for HSV, not knowing which type or what location. And it also depends on what the doctor says, because doctors associate some doctors associate HSV-1 with oral herpes exclusively, Mm HSV-2 with genital herpes exclusively. And that's not the case. Either can be 
transfer to either, while it's more common for HSV-1 to be yeah. oral and more common for HSV-2 to be genital. It's mm-hmm. and, and there's other locations that people don't talk about as much. There's ocular around your eyes. There's nasal around your nose. Like anywhere there's a what's called a mucous membrane. Yeah. So there's even, you know, there's other locations too, anally, like... <laughs> Yeah, it I know someone up wherever it feels like. Yeah, I know someone who uh, gets outbreaks around their ankles, and it's a pain in the ass for them because they like to skate. So their outbreak shows up around their yeah. ankles, and where we run into the issue is when it's linked to sex. Right. If you have oral herpes, it's from kissing. Oh, everyone has that. Everyone gets cold sores. Everyone has mm-hmm. HSV one. But then the minute like I get a blowjob and now it's on my genitals, like uh, it's not that I'm cool for getting a blowjob. It's no, you're uh, worse for getting it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like what? Yeah. And when I put it into layman's terms like that for people, and I think that I've come to a point where I've been able to just simplify it so easily for people that they're able to come away with a newfound perspective on herpes outside of whatever their own internalized stigma was pre-diagnosis because it's like Mm -hmm. our identities are so interconnected with our sexuality that when we get a diagnosis, especially of something that's incurable but manageable, then it's like it just shatters who we are. It's not that, oh, I just, I can't have sex during certain times. Now I need to have more open dialogue around sex and what that looks like with partners. It's, I am broken, I'm shattered. And now I have to put these pieces back together. So when people make their way to me, it's like a stage in them putting those pieces back together of who they are, who they want to be now as they move forward and make an attempt to heal from their diagnosis and what mental health uh, challenges that's presented for them. And I want to kind of broaden this to like any STI. I mean, I think each one can be unique. Obviously, there's ones that are easily treatable. That's why you should, you know, get tested often and know your status. And then there's some that are just more about management. Um, but what are your feelings about folks like that story you were saying with the threesome that know they have an STI and don't share it? My thoughts are, I think, a little skewed because as a therapist, I'm really trying to support like the whole person. So if I have a client that's talking about like, I have herpes and I didn't tell somebody, my immediate thing isn't going to be like, well, that's wrong. You need to tell them because I'm going from a place of support in like what got in the way from talking about it and kind of validating why they didn't say something coming from the shame and the stigma. And it's no one's taught how to have those conversations unless they're coming to you or getting resources. So it's like, on one hand, I get it. And also, um, yeah, I, I just would love to hear your thoughts and feelings about people who know and aren't sharing it with their partners. All right. First, uh, I want to make the disclaimer that there are people in like abusive relationships or in fields where if someone were to find out, this is detrimental to their survival. Right. Mm, um, I like that you put that in there. Thank you. Uh, and for... Many of us, I don't want to speak for everyone, there is oftentimes an underlying behavior pattern or emotion that is the root of what a herpes diagnosis now brings to the forefront, whether it be how you've navigated relationships, whether it be how you view yourself, whether Mm -hmm. it be how you use your sexuality, and the, the list goes on. But I think that when you begin to, um, uncover 
what it is that the herpes diagnosis and non-disclosure represents, you mm-hmm. kind of get into this place of perhaps avoidance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, avoidance of whatever that underlying emotion and behavior pattern is. And now that that herpes diagnosis has come in, it disrupts that. And again, just tying it back to our sexuality and our identities being so interconnected, that is kind of the root of why people often don't disclose. Um, in addition to the guidance that they're given by health providers or any advice that they're given by family and friends, that's like, ooh, girl, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't tell anybody. Or for the medical mm-hmm. professional to say, well, you don't have to, it's so common. But that really does downplay and invalidate the experiences of those people who test positive for herpes and then go into suicide mode. Um, There are many episodes of my podcast where I've interviewed people who, even if it's just like a vague mention, they talk about having been suicidal. Like someone that I just talked to who is very active in her religion and is super um, into prayer. You know, she almost walked into traffic after her diagnosis and she thought that God would heal her. She had this healing placed on her. She pulled out her phone. She said that she knows that her mom never answers the phone. And she was standing outside on the side of the highway. And she was like, I am going to call my mom. God, if my mom doesn't answer, then I know I'm supposed to walk into traffic. Her mom picked up the phone and she just dropped to her knees and like started bawling. So this is a story that was shared with me. And it's just like one of many. This one was just recent. So I Mm, think that's heartbreaking. Very. I think that when we can get to a place where we understand that our sexual health uh, is directly interconnected with our mental health and like how Mm -hmm. we navigate communication and dialogue around that, it shifts how doctors talk about uh, or deliver a diagnosis. It shifts how they encourage disclosure and it shifts people in like our allyship, I would say, um, when I disclose to someone and we have dialogue around it, I've created an ally. So now this is someone who goes out and if they're disclosed to, they now know someone who has disclosed to them in the past and they can speak from that experience going into a new interaction. That same person, if they are exposed to herpes and they test positive, they are now equipped with a new framework for navigating their diagnosis that they Mm -hmm. didn't have in place prior to knowing someone who had herpes. Yeah. And just kind of going back to, I guess, the disclosure portion, um, I know that a lot of steps maybe happen in between getting from where you are now to where you first were, uh, or when people first get the diagnosis um, of any STI. Um, But how do you disclose now? And I'm happy to share the way I do too for listeners, if that's helpful. And tell me about some positive experiences you've had with it being received and having good sex. (laughs) I would like to first shout out Dr. Evelyn Dacker for this STARS framework um, to navigate not just disclosure, but overall just interactions that you're going to have. This is like a negotiations template for a sexual Mm -hmm. encounter. So the first S stands for um, sexual health. T stands for turn-ons, A is avoids, R is relationship intention, and the second S is for safety. So You know what? I have never heard this acronym, and I'm so grateful. I can't wait to post about this. <laughs> right, so I'll, I'll link you to her TED Talk. It's very short, sweet, and to the point, and you're like, 
wow, like I'll have this kind of a conversation with partners and I know when to initiate this conversation as soon as sex, like I can talk about sex with anybody. I do talk about sex with almost everybody, but on a dating scenario, or if there's someone that I would like to be intimate with, we'll Mm -hmm. talk about sex. We may talk about sex we've had, but the second it starts to intersect into, oh, this is what I see happening with us or me. That's when you, that's when you have the convo. That is exactly to me in my experience, the perfect point in time to have it because at that point they've expressed outwardly any uh, expectations that they have inwardly. So if you allow for that kind of thing to go on and you haven't disclosed to them in their mind, they're, they've got this perfect picture of what sex might look like with you. And then when you wait too long after that's happened and then you disclose, you open yourself up for disappointment because that person's disappointed that they didn't have this information to work from in the beginning of talking about what sex is going to look like with one another. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me we had to wear condoms? Or why didn't you tell me that we might not be able to uh, do oral, right? So there's all these added layers that can come after, you know, setting this expectation with a potential partner that can be negated if you just initiate this dialogue. So for me, whenever I'm... But I just want to say too, I love having it as part of a like bigger conversation around pleasure and turn-ons because I think a lot of times when folks think about disclosure, it's like, who would want to have a conversation where you're like, yeah, let's talk about this uncomfortable thing that makes me feel nervous and shitty and embarrassed and like build it up to this thing. Like, let's have the talk, right. As opposed to just a piece of this larger discussion about pleasure and how we want to feel before, during, and after sex. Yes. And I want to shift away from like disclosure. Disclosure is like such a legal and technical term. Mm -hmm. If we can get Mm -hmm. to a place of just sharing our status. Right. Um, And being able to speak to that in more of a broad spectrum of incorporating not just safety, but also pleasure. Like you mentioned, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to talk about what turns each other on, talks about uh, what may turn someone off and then being able to be like, Hey, you know, here's what I see with us. Like, here's how you fit into my life in terms of what I see from our interactions. What do you think? And talk about, is this going to be a one-time thing? Is this going to be an ongoing thing? What does aftercare look like? And when we speak to safety, it's not just about safety and wearing condoms or me, Mm -hmm. you from getting emotional safety, emotional safety. Exactly. So for me, as someone who dates outside my race, I have to make sure that whoever it is that I'm dating, is aware of certain uh, conversations that need to be had, how to engage socially in social settings. Like I've been in the car with women who flick off police officers while we're driving by. And I'm like, yo, you can do that shit by yourself. You can't do that with me. But that's like an element of this dialogue that needs to happen when it comes to safety. So I, I always shout out Dr. Evelyn Dacker for putting that STARS acronym together because it speaks to such a more broad range of conversation that we don't think of Mm -hmm. as people who have to share their status uh, because we're so caught up in, all right, I got to do the right thing. I'm going to tell you I have herpes and then you're either going to accept me or you're not. But you don't know, like after you disclose someone's reaction may be a turn off to you and you cut through all the BS of potentially seeing how this person responds to something not going their way or not being the way that they imagined it for themselves. Like, how does this person handle Adapt uh, adaptations and change. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, listeners, some amazing discounts and giveaways coming your way. First up, I hope you remember an amazing episode with Liz Klinger of Lioness. The Lioness was also featured in the episode with Vaughn Music, who makes music from her orgasm wave patterns, which she tracks using the Lioness. The Lioness is a woman-owned, award-winning, science-driven sex toy company founded by Liz Klinger and Anna Lee. The Lioness Smart Vibrator was even named one of the 100 Greatest Inventions of 2021, by popular science, and it's an awesome tool for better understanding your body as it uses AI precision sensors and biofeedback to help you visualize your arousal and orgasm when paired with the app. If you order your Lioness today at lioness.io, you could probably get it in time for Valentine's Day, and I would recommend it. And if you want to win a Lioness for free, head on over to the Sluts and Scholars Instagram for the next three weeks and look for the post about the Lioness giveaway. The winner will be announced the week of February 28th. I just love this technology. Firstly, it's fun and it feels great, but it's really amazing to be able to know this part of myself even more intimately. And Vaughn actually has a new song coming out called Tiny Boy, which was created from using the Lioness Vibrator. So you should check that out to see what it can do. Um, I am biased, but if you haven't yet, definitely go check out these past episodes and get your own Lioness today at lioness.io. If your orgasm were a song, what would it be? Think on that question as you're going to need the answer to enter to win a free lioness on the Sluts and Scholars Instagram. My song would be... Just kidding. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to go check out the Insta to find out. Okay, and since I'm all about knowledge and resources, the slutty scholar in me, I'm a huge fan of our other sponsor, Beducated. Beducated is like the Netflix of sexual wellness. You can join Beducated for as little as $9.99 per month when you use my code S&S. That's 65% off when you use my coupon code S&S at Beducated.com. Remember, great sex takes work. We are not born being great at it, and we must continue to work at it to experience more pleasure. Beducated is an online course platform with easy-to-follow video, audio, and written guides. They provide techniques and information in an approachable way from different instructors to level up your love life. They even have an expert-backed library of courses with topics from Tantra to Kink so you can get more comfortable with yourself or with a partner. I am in this field, and I still take classes online for myself and with my partner all the time. Here are some awesome Valentine's Day ideas. Forget the cliche dinner and roses, unless you really like that jam, and instead, treat yourself to a lasting gift. Beducated has courses that include massage courses, like erotic massage, breast massage, vulva massage, sensual penis massage. They have self-love courses, including female orgasm, tantra for one, and sexual confidence, and they even have more experimental courses like face-sitting, kinky sex, and lap dances. So, you can join Beducated now for as little as $9.99 per month when you use my code S&S. That's 65% off when you use my code S-A-N-D-S at beducated.com. B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, beducated.com, and use code S&S. The link is also in the episode description. Now, back to the episode. Okay, so let's say we're we're on a date. We're starting to get to the part where we're talking about like maybe us connecting stars me. (laughs) 
Ooh, all right. Uh, so let's say we're, hmm, I like hot tub days. So I, I, I do this because it's cold here. I got a gym membership that allows All right, me. I'm going to try to imagine we're in the hot tub because that sounds nice right now. It's cold yeah. out. <laughs> uh, so uh, just be like, well, what do you want to do after this? It's 8 p.m. We still have a little bit of time. Like uh, we can go back to my place and have dinner. I have some pizza. I don't know. This is so <laughs> We won't won't, role play it like exactly. I really want to start with. So for me. Okay. So I I would say, I would say, you know, I love pizza, but um, I kind of like to get freaky before I eat. Oh shit. Okay. Hey, we could go there. So (laughs) I would first want to, I I like to like invite curiosity and play around with that. So it'd be something playful. Like, Oh, so you like to eat pizza. I like to eat something too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I would like to, you know, first have like a conversation. You know, I don't want for this to be something that takes away from sexy time. So it's probably best that we just have it now. Um, And in my experience, I typically have to disclose a lot sooner because people ask me what I do. And that opens up the dialogue much sooner. But in the event that I meet somebody like out or something, then the conversation would just, you know, go to figuring out if we're compatible first. So we we're on a date and, you know, we've had small talk. Um, If I feel like I'm in an emotionally safe space with a person, then, you know, we can talk about relationship intention. Like, hey, here's what I'm looking for in a partner, whether it be something casual, whether it be something more long term or serious, put that out there on the table. And then ask you, you know, what are you looking for? And if that connects, if there's alignment there, then I would like to take it to the next level of figuring out, all right, well, shit, you like to get freaky before pizza. So I take that as you don't want to be feeling bloated or anything like that when we're actually having sex. So I would be like, all right, well, you know. Knowing there's food coming, <laughs> what other turn-ons do you have, right? Yeah. And yeah. Or the, yeah, how else do you want to feel? Like, what else are you interested yeah. in? So it's like you're, you're playing green flag, red flag, bingo, in a way. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for alignment all across. And if there mm. isn't alignment all across, then you have to ask yourself, all right, well, what am I willing to compromise here? Or is this something that's important to me? So. Yeah. Uh, I'm rearranging the letters for the flow of conversation. So we've already gotten to uh, the turn ons, right? Now we're talking about intention. So next is going to be, all right, well, what about turn offs? Like what, what are some places or ways that you don't like to be touched so that I can make sure that I avoid those? And then you Mm -hmm. tell me and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm not really into ass slapping, choking or hair pulling on the first date either. So we have like a foundation to work from. And then from there is probably where I would want to get into uh, just speaking about testing. I was last tested in October for chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, HIV. I feel like there was a fifth thing. Uh, <laughs> those four. <for sure. laughs> I like that. I like that you list it too. Cause I think a lot of times when people say they were tested, like testing is not equal across the board, different doctors test for different things, depending on what you ask for. And you often have to advocate for a full panel cause they might just give the, I don't know, uh, I don't know, gonorrhea, syphilis, and HIV ones, because that's like the most common in that area or something. Yeah. And then too, like, I like to offer that I was also tested orally and anally because 
a lot of people don't know that. Uh, you get the swab in your mouth, and if you participate in any sort of rimming or butt play, it's important to get tested there as well. And I find that people don't know that. Like, people make this face where their eyes get big and their heads kind of jerk back when I'm that clear in what I've been tested for and when and where. And I also ask, you know, well, these are things I was tested for. I tested positive for herpes, genital herpes, type two in whatever year it was or this long ago. And then I'll share like, I don't typically get outbreaks, but if I feel one coming, then that just changes the way that we have sex uh, looks for that interaction or the duration of symptoms. What about you? A lot of people leave out that what about you? Um, and I think that when you share, it's important to share, or I'm sorry, when you ask a question that it's important that you also have your share there as well. So you're offering, here's what I've been tested for and when, here's what the outcomes were, what about you? So we get our baseline. That other person knows kind of how to answer the question because if you ask people, mm -hmm. oh, when were you last tested? You know, they might just say, oh, I don't know, a year ago. And that's it. Like, that's the end of the discussion. But yeah. I want more detail. I want to know how fluent you are in sexual health communication, because that also tells me what kind of a partner you're going to be. If you're yeah. not someone who is confident and comfortable with saying, yeah, you know, I got tested, I get tested on a regular basis, typically every six months or between partners, then... I don't know that we're going to have a pleasant experience because I'm someone who values that communication. And if the other person doesn't value that communication or isn't able to communicate with me at that at a, a close to the same level, I know that it's not going to be good sex. And I don't have to settle for less than good sex anymore. So I'm not going to. It'll just be like, oh, OK, well all right, well, maybe you should get tested and then we can go from there or we can be friends. <laughs> like that's, mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine to do as well. But I think that comes from a place of like, uh, of confidence and of, and of practice doing that and also self-worth, right? I think the key that you hit on there is that a lot of people, you know, if they're not come, if they haven't come to terms with their STI status or just other insecurities about their body, I think they operate from a place of um, scarcity. And worrying that like this person is going to be my only option or, uh, and even sometimes they'll stay in abusive relationships because they're like, well, they know I have herpes and you know, I, how will I ever find someone else who's okay with this? Um, but I think, yeah, redirecting and really trying to get to a place of, of healing and acceptance within your self narrative that this helps you rule out people that aren't good matches for you as well. Um, uh, but I think that's hard for some folks because of that scarcity, uh, self-confidence struggle. That is a very challenging thing, but you know, it's 2022 now. Your next potential partner is a thumb swipe away. Uh, if you don't like to do dating apps and you feel like because you know you met a person, however you met them out in the wild, you know, value those connections, but understand that there are X number of people on this planet. And to be honest, you have three types of responses that you're going to get after disclosing a positive herpes status. Uh, response one is, no thanks, I don't want anything to do with this. Response number two is, oh, really, tell me more, I'm curious. And then response three is me too. So you have a two-thirds chance of not experiencing rejection, especially in a way that we think it's going to happen. We think people are just going to be like, ew, gross, get out of here. I don't ever want anything to do with you, and I'm going to tell everybody. I've had no one, no one have 
that response to me disclosing to them. And I have been turned down for my uh, herpes status in the past. And I've been turned down even after having experienced acceptance from people. And this is just something that comes with it. Like mm-hmm. we get rejected on a regular basis. Like if you call someone and don't, they don't answer. Or if you text someone and they don't respond in a fashion that you think is appropriate. Think of all of the ways that we experience rejection and then think of all the ways that we deliver rejection to other people. Like how often is someone sliding in your DMs or hitting you up and you're like, oh, I don't want to be bothered with this person. Or if you're asked to go somewhere and you're like, ah, no, or you just don't respond. There are all kinds of ways that rejection is experienced. What makes this any different than anything else? So once I talk to enough people about rejection and these experiences. I'm like, damn, you know, I've, I've applied for things, grants, jobs, and been rejected after putting so much more energy into those than Mm -hmm. an hour of a day or some text exchanges to where rejection, I'm not going to let rejection like hurt me anymore, especially in comparison to these much bigger picture things. But like you said, it does come from a place of scarcity. And over time, like the only way to really get the confidence is to disclose. And when you have experiences that directly challenge what your beliefs are, you can start to reframe those beliefs about your self-worth and you can operate from a place of abundance, knowing Mm -hmm. that you can confidently walk out into the world, share your status with a potential partner, and then, you know, also hold them to a higher standard. Like, all right, well, this is what I got. What about you? How responsible are you with your sexual health? How good is this interaction going to be if we decide to move forward? And then not overlook compatibilities and incompatibilities outside of just sex. Like, are you emotionally safe? Are you compatible in other ways? And I like the way that you framed your, uh, your discussion about like what you wanted sexually. And now I, now I find myself, I don't want to use that word disclosure either, but what, you know, the, the conversation, the communication, I like that you include a component of like ease and flirtation with it too, because I think a lot of folks think that this is not sexy. And you even said at the beginning, oh, I don't want this to take away from our sexy time. I think there's this inherent worry that if we talk about boundaries of any kind, whether that be STIs or something else, then it's like, like, you know, put the brakes on as opposed to like, this can be a part of your flirtation talk, not in a manipulative way, but in like a, you know, this is a fun light thing to do, right? Like for me, the way I say it, and usually I'll say it this way, if it's clear that we're like just talking because we're going to have some like kink play or hookup stuff, I'll just say something like, um, you know, I've been loving like what we're talking about, like really excited to play, you know, to, to, to get together with you. Um, but you know, before we do like, you know, the, the, the safer I feel, the sluttier I am. And I'd really like to, you know, be that with you. Um, so before we, you know, get into it more, you know, I just want to share my, you know, uh, STI status and safer sex practices. And so I'll say like, you know, this is my, this is my status. I was last tested at this point. These are the current partners I have and how we practice sex. This is who I'm fluid bonded with, which means people that I don't maybe use protection with. Um, and then, yeah, then what about you? Um, and then after they say, you know, usually if they give a response that makes me feel good, I definitely will give some positive reinforcement to that of like, oh, that makes me so turned on, or I love how much you care about health or like, it's like, uh, yeah, such a turn on that you're willing to talk about this. So really trying to tie it into like ease and pleasure and flirtation as well. 
that's that therapy shit. You only you know this because you're you're in the field. <laughs> so like having this conversation with you, I'd be like, oh my god, I'd just be drooling and everything. But <laughs> well, it's pra- but it's hard. It's hard sometimes. I still get nervous before. I still like that 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 voice is still there, and I don't want to say it never goes away because I think you can work to quiet it. But I think just like any other healing or growth for me, there may always be a time where that intrusive thought comes in where you're like, oh, but what if they don't like me? Or what if I lose them? And I'd love to hear from you, like what's been most helpful and in your research, what's been the most helpful to go against that negative stigmatizing voice to deal with rejection, to build yourself up, uh, to feel better about, you know, all the things we talked about, like, what have you found to be most helpful for you and the communities that you work with? Identity validation is the phrase that comes to mind. Uh, I think that people forget who they were a minute before they learn that they have herpes and now their identity is challenged because of their sexuality. When we're able to go to a friend and say, hey, I have herpes, and that friend be like, all right, what the fuck that's supposed to mean? Come on, let's go eat. Like, you love hamburgers. Let's go have hamburgers or whatever. I it, thought we were getting pizza. It, oh, pizza, pizza. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> what topics? We're gonna I'm just kidding. But, Hamburger uh, pizza. It For me personally, it was my occupancy in these online spaces with people who have herpes in various support groups, communities, social groups, dating sites that I really liked myself. And it was only because that that aspect of wondering when are they going to find out? How are they going to treat me if they find out that I have herpes? That was completely removed. It took for me one day being in my phone while I was around my friends, who my teammates that I play football with, my friends, people who've become my family, who I've had years of time with. I was like, I was asked by a friend who's like, hey, man, you all right? You don't seem like yourself. And I think that was when it clicked for me. I like myself more around these people who know absolutely nothing about me except for that I have herpes compared to these people who know who I am but don't know that I have herpes. So it was like finding that thought process. I was like, I can't unsee this anymore. So my identity as someone with herpes in these spaces where other people had herpes became more of a prioritization for me than my family, friends, and people that I'm around. So I had to like bridge that gap or just completely get rid of the differentiation altogether. And that kind of led to me disclosing to friends and having my identity validated because they weren't treating me any differently. I was still Courtney. They knew me having herpes just meant that they had a person to come to now about sexual health stuff. And then it changed the need that I had to be in these spaces where only people have herpes. And I was like, damn, you know, this was very supportive for me to work my way through the support groups and communities and kind of find my voice, find who I am, my identity as all of these overlapping identities that I have now and being able to take those into the real world. Like I love myself now. I liked myself in these private spaces. I was afraid of other people not liking me in my social circles in real life. But once I got rid of those differentiators, if you will, I just became one person. I was still Courtney. I just also have herpes now. Yeah. And I think you, you hit on so many like important factors that work for me for any 
I guess any person in a minority sexuality population or who's experiencing stuff with their shame and stigma is community. Connect with your community. And this doesn't mean that you're only going to be able to hook up with partners who also have the same STI as you. Um, but that might be a place to start a little bit just to like build your army around you so that you do have more support and defense when you do feel that shame and stigma or that rejection and people you can talk to about this. Um, and to, like you said before, have those corrective experiences with people who do respond well to build you up and to remind you that there are going to be people who respond well, as opposed to that one person you told first who responded shittily. Yeah. Do you think that, um, people should give folks a second chance if they respond shitty? <laughs> like, let's say, let's say you tell somebody and like, I, cause I, I want to, I mean, look, the sex education in this country sucks. Most people aren't getting the discussions and the support to talk about this unless they're seeking it out. And so I can understand when someone's first instinct response is like, I only know about herpes because they said that, you know, in the hangover or whatever, that they didn't want to get herpes because that shit will stay with you forever. And so their first response may come from a fight or flight place of fear. And remember, go back to the episodes about nervous system. But when we're in fight or flight, our empathy, our compassion, all that shit goes out the window. We are just caring for our own, you know, safety. And so I like, I want to understand that some people are going to respond that way first. And look, that may be a red flag for you where you're like, that's fine. I can understand that you respond that way, but go do some work on yourself before we fuck. Um, but I don't know. I can, my hope is that people would come back once they've calmed down. And, and I think if they do, like maybe there's a chance, but I don't know. What do you think? I have multiple experiences. I'll speak to one because this is one that happened long enough ago to where no one would be able to connect these dots, right? So I was on Tinder at the beginning of the pandemic. I matched with someone, things start getting like real hot, real fast. And then I'm like, hey, all right, I want to like real quick, like I have herpes and here's what it means for me. Here's what it means for my relationship. And she was just like, ah, well, I'm a very sexual person. I don't know that I'm going to want to, you know, have to take those protective measures. And I had to respect that. So she and I disconnected. Fast forward a year. Yeah, a year. It was about a year later that we matched on Bumble. So we're on Bumble. It's so funny how there's those same people you see on the different apps and you're like, you like, remember, I still remember some of their faces for years. I'm like, I've seen you on every app well, I've been on. Yeah. So she, she wasn't okay with that and it was fine, but I matched with her again on Bumble and I didn't recognize who she was right away until she said a couple of things that like triggered my memory. And I looked through the pictures. I was like, ah, cause she got removed from Tinder. So I couldn't go back and look at the pictures. It was when I said something to her about it that I was like, Hey, are, did we match before? She's like, Oh yeah. So when I took the same approach of disclosing, which was when we started talking about sex with each other, this time it was received differently. She had gone through, um, she had gone through a class for her nursing program and they talked about herpes. They talked about how common it was, how easily treatable and manageable it is. And she was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. I just learned about that in this class. And that's when I was like, this can't be the same person that I matched with before. And when I finally brought it up to her after we had sex, because I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything before and ruin it. But uh, she came back around and after having had that education, 
she was more receptive to it. We just talked about wearing condoms and she was even okay with us not wearing condoms uh, at some point, but we just never made it to that place. So in this instance, this was a matter of someone having gone off and done their own work. It's not like I was pulled into having to educate her about herpes or do any emotional labor with having to like sell myself to someone because that feels shitty. Like I don't want to sell you on having sex with me because Mm. I have herpes. Like if you want to have sex with me, want to have sex with me. I'm not about to sell you on it. Yeah. That's interesting. See, I do sometimes say something like, oh, let me know if you have any questions or something. Uh, but I can imagine there's times where folks, myself included, don't want to do that labor. And it's like, if you don't do that yourself, like I'm not going to be your teacher. Like I want to teach you about me and what my behaviors and stuff are and what I need. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely a line between telling someone about you specifically versus um, teaching them about like being their sex educator and then also selling, having to sell yourself and convince them that you're, I don't know, safe enough or something. Yeah, that I'm worth the risk, right? Because statistically speaking, you've probably already been exposed to herpes if you've been sexually active with what is like six people. I remember uh, the statistics that I got in my pamphlet however many years ago, almost nine years ago, said one in six people have genital HSV-2, one in five have uh, genital HSV-1 or something. And it's probably more because a lot of people don't know. The statistics were so confusing. It was one in six, one in five, one in four, one in three, one in two. And all of the HSVs were interchangeable. And I was just like, I, I'm not using this. You might get herpes from me. You might not get herpes from me, regardless of what the use of barriers and taking the medication, because like, even if the chances are reduced to 1%, what does that 1% mean? Is it one out of every hundred strokes, like that yeah. you might be exposed to herpes one out of every hundred times we have sex. So am mm-hmm. I supposed to stop at 99 and make like, yeah. Oh, you don't have herpes yet. It'll be this time that you get it. So I'm not putting myself or partners through that. I just be as transparent and direct with them as possible. Like, Hey, I can't say that you won't get herpes from me, but I can damn sure guarantee you that I'm going to be as communicative as I can. Whenever I'm feeling symptoms are presenting themselves, we're going to wear condoms until we communicate otherwise. And I want to make sure that, you know, when we're going to be intimate, that there's a hell yes from my partner and not like this hesitance at all because of herpes. I want to thank you because I just had this like breakthrough moment in my mind that like, herpes can be a really good way to gain insight about our personality and not just personality, but like things that we need to work on for ourselves. Cause I would, I think the hardest part for me about having, um, having oral herpes is that I worry about giving it to other people. And even when I have given them full risk awareness and they have made the decision to take that risk, I still find myself taking care of them and taking the responsibility of, well, I don't want to be responsible for that. And that is something that I do in all areas. I think of life of like, oh, I need to be this people pleaser. I need to make sure people are having a good time. I need to make sure I'm helping people enough in therapy. And so I do think, don't judge yourself for the reaction that you're having about your STI status, but maybe let that be a point of curiosity to help inform you about some stuff that's going on for you on other personality levels, I think, and behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you for sharing that because there is sort of this added layer of um, 
social righteousness, if you will, of not wanting to spread the virus. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is, I feel that way about COVID stuff too. It's like, I'm even less scared about getting it myself than I am about inadvertently giving it to somebody. Yeah. And there are so many parallels there to speak to as well with mm-hmm. masks being condoms, with disclosing your yes. status, having a most, having to alert your most recent uh, contacts, minimizing your partners or people that you have close intimacy with. So mm-hmm. when we speak to these things, they very much parallel. And in relation to an SCI and not wanting to spread it, that is linked to this prevention language that we have. And Mm -hmm. the word prevention in itself to me is stigmatizing and non-inclusive to Mm -hmm. the lived experiences of people who have had an SCI, who are living with an SCI, because now you're implying that we need to not have sex with anyone because we're at risk. No, what we need Mm -hmm. to do is encourage communication and dialogue around what the risks are and Mm -hmm. encourage people to share their status with potential partners so that we can minimize risk of transmission. I'm Mm -hmm. not only going to have sex with people who don't, who uh, also have herpes, but I'm also not making it a point to, you know, go out and actively try and make more people like me who also have Mm -hmm. herpes, right? Yeah. Well, and letting, letting them take care of their own boundaries and safety stuff too, instead of feeling this, like, I don't want to call it a godlike complex, but thinking that we could really control it. Yeah, because we can. Like, we wear masks and we get vaccinated and we get boosted and we minimize contact and we still get COVID. Some of the most cautious people that I know have all tested positive for COVID. And I consider myself to be, you know, I'm remotely cautious, but I'm more communicative than I am cautious. So if I have partners, like, I let them know, like, hey, this is who I'm spending my time with. My roommate and I, we have our protocol in the event that someone tests positive or Mm -hmm. is exposed to COVID. And that's really all we can do is communicate. And that communication piece is completely left out of STD prevention efforts, which is why I advocate for this STI infection instead of disease minimization um, ideology, which incorporates communication as well as the lived experiences of people who have tested positive Mm -hmm. for any sort of a sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say, and then then we got to sadly wrap up. I feel like we have, there's so much more we can talk about. Um, but I also think that it's good to, if you have an STI like herpes, it can also be a barometer for your like overall health and wellness and self-care practices. So mm-hmm. we know that one of the main causes of an outbreak, if you've already been diagnosed with herpes, is stress. I think a good way to re-narrate this is like, oh, this can just be an indicator. I don't want to say like a friend, but like a support thing telling you when you're taking care of yourself and maybe how you need to take better care of yourself. So I'm wondering for you, what are some of your stress reduction practices that maybe help you um, so that you don't have as many outbreaks, um, you know, throughout the, throughout your life? All right. So for me, I practice yoga. I practice meditation. um, I work out. I have like a system in place that allows for me to sort of autonomously take care of my body. Right. So that takes care of the body and movement, wellness. As far as mentally, I make it a point to read or listen to podcasts, watch anime. These are sort of what my self-care practices are for me. And I find that self-care is a great balancer 
between itself and compassion fatigue or um, burnout. So it's important to, if you find yourself in the workplace, like a lot of people can't avoid burnout necessarily, but speaking back to that identity validation piece, if you're able to do things that validate, you know, who you are, who you believe yourself to be, it sort of recharges you. And that's kind of what yoga, watching cartoons and superhero shows and anime does for me, because it's like, man, I really connect with this person. I'm seeing myself married back to me. And in my day-to-day life of speaking to people who are consistently battling herpes stigma, like for people to reach out to me of all people, I'm a dude with a podcast. Like there's nothing special in that sense about me. Like I'm not a licensed mental health professional. People can get a lot better help from uh, someone that's more qualified to speak to the things that I speak to than me. But I don't I don't know. <laughs> I know a lot of mental health people who have no training about STIs. I would much rather send them to you. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, but all I do really is just like I serve as a mirror. What it is that they give to me to work with is what I try and reflect back to them. I try to validate the identities of people outside of their herpes status, like speaking to who they are. They talk about relationships they're in and what their partners have done and how they have been made to feel. But it's like, how do you feel? Like what what's what's in there with you? What do you believe about yourself? What's true to you? And I do my best to just validate their identities in that way. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining on the podcast. Do you have any parting wisdom for our listeners? And then also feel free to promo yourself and the project and how people can get in touch. Yeah. Um, sexual health is mental health. And there's a hashtag for it. I put it to all of the podcast episodes and anything that I post in relation to herpes. Uh, Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that we serve people with herpes. If you are someone who's struggling with your diagnosis and you need support, um, I connect people to these secret communities and social support groups, as well as support groups that if you need to get in there and get advice or learn how to disclose or you just need to vent. Like there's all types of spaces for that. I connect people to those things. But the primary function of the nonprofit is to continue to podcast, of course, but also connect people to mental health resources if they are struggling with stigma. Um, I make myself available to chat with everyone who reaches out, even if it's just like a quick dialogue exchange of thank you, how can I donate? And yes, we are always accepting donations, uh, any media opportunities, if anyone wants to partner and figure out how we can work together. Um, I'm just Courtney at SPFPP.org, or you can follow me on social media at H on my chest. Um, yeah. H on my chest. Yeah. H on my chest. It's all one word. So it is like Han my chest. It's H on my chest. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean, sexual health is mental health. And, you know, if you're someone who's struggling with your herpes status, um, and communicating that, like, come check out the podcast. You can find that there are many people who have similar shared experiences that maybe you can relate to. Well, thank you so much, Courtney. I'm so glad you're out there offering this resource. And again, listeners, you can follow me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please check out the advertisers. Remember, the more you support the advertisers, the more you support the podcast. Uh, Thank you all and talk to you next week. Thank you.